Folks, just so you know, we're back with our Scream series continuation. Last week we gave you part one. Today we're coming back with sequels. But don't worry, unlike what Randy said in part two, I don't think necessarily that all sequels suck. Some of them are good. Not necessarily House 2, but some of them are decent. Definitely the ones mentioned in Scream 2, Aliens. Aliens, T2. T2. Probably The Godfather of Part 2. I mean, again, most likely because... Those movies still with the horror element, but also added more action, so it was more fun to watch. And this movie, by definition, they say in the movie that sequels are inferior to the original, so maybe they purposely made a movie that wasn't as good as the first Scream? As an in-joke? Hey, we know sequels suck, so don't have high expectations for this one. Nah. Well, maybe not. Okay, well... I mean, I guess, what would you expect when you get the damn Roseanne's friend from... Roseanne <laughs> to be the main villain. Hey, you will call her Mrs. Debbie Loomis. Or as she calls herself throughout the entire movie, Debbie Salt, until you find out she's Debbie Loomis. Well, this continues the tradition of horror characters being called Loomis because you had, in the original Psycho, you had the original Loomis. In the Halloween series, you have Dr. Loomis. And now you have Billy Loomis and Billy Loomis's mother, Debbie Loomis. That would be spoiling them in the movie, but hey, guess what? I'm sure you've all seen it, so don't worry. We're going to have to spoil you right up front. As with Scream, spoilers ahead. If you haven't seen it, you're not going to want to listen to this podcast until you go view Scream 2. But come on, you're horror fans. You've seen Scream 2. Everybody's seen Scream 2. Uh, everyone's seen it just because Rebecca Gayhart's in it. That's the reason I saw it. <laughs> when I saw her name in the cast, I was like, oh, my favorite actress, Rebecca Gayhart. And she's only in like three minutes of the whole movie. Yeah, we'll talk about that. It seemed, like, <laughs> seemed kind of silly. But when we last left off, Scream had taken over the world. Huge box office, late 96, early 97. I'm still trying to figure out why I called this movie Scream when there was hardly any screaming. I don't know. But biggest horror movie in a long time. Won awards. Randomly won the MTV Movie Award for Best Movie of the Year. Set the world on fire. So, of course, what does Hollywood do? They greenlight the sequel. Fast. Within 11 months, we have Scream 2 hair in theaters. The very that, next December. To be honest, that's probably why this movie isn't as good. Because anything rushed sucks ass now imagine being rushed and imagine you rush out a script and then you start filming and in the middle of filming an extra on set leaks the entire script online forcing you now to now rethink the whole second half of the movie on the fly while filming that's not just rushed that is fucked yes well in a word basically when we're going to see some of those logical inconsistencies show up a lot during the movie but that's the background. I say let's jump in right in the opening scene. What do you think? Marine and Phil's death. Now, let's, yes, folks, this is not a coincidence, of course, as you know, that they are named Maureen and Phil. But Phil's last name is Steven. Which, as if, you, if you remember from Scream 1, the OG two victims are Maureen Prescott and Steve, whatever his last name was. You do know was, Maureen was actually an off-movie off kill because her death happened a year later. Oh, yeah, I know. Or a year earlier. Yeah, I'm not saying on screen. I'm saying that in the canon of the movie, technically, she's the first kill, even though we never see it. Here we have two new characters. Played by Omar Epps and Jada Pinkett. You know, this scene probably would have been funnier had they gotten Will Smith instead of Omar Epps. I'm telling you, Will Smith would have punched Ghostface in the mask and said, Welcome to Earth. And Go then got stabbed in the dick. No, I would have I laughed, but <laughs> Will Smith would have told the producers, Hey, so... I killed Ghostface in the first 10 minutes, right? Like, this is how the scene ends, and then we cut to credits, right? And then we cut to me doing the Men in Black music video, right? No, I still just think it would be hilarious to watch Will Smith and Jada Pinkett both die in this scene. I, it would have been interesting. It would have been a shock, big time. It definitely, because anyone who sees Will Smith is like, he's the main character. I don't know whatever happened to Sydney, but there's our main character. Uh, why is he dead? 
He would have demanded $20 million for six six minutes on screen. It would have been a good investment for six minutes. I, to, be, to be completely honest, if I was given a budget high enough to do that... They might have had might. it. This was a big budget movie. This movie, we can say right now, this cast is stacked. Mm-hmm. They tried to get, even in the minor roles, the most minor roles, they try to get somebody who's a known face. Everybody in this movie, I've seen other movies. There's no no-name actors in any role in this movie, I don't think. So... Yeah, so because you got to admit, you got to imagine after the first movie, like Sarah Michelle Gellar said that she didn't read the script; she just signed on because they offer any role in Scream too. She was like, "Well, based on the success of Scream One, I'll do whatever you want." Basically, she didn't even know what her character was like that. She just signed on. She didn't know that she was going to die again. No, she found that out during the table read. Uh, Jamie Kennedy plays Randy had a funny story where they're at the table read. The cast they were basically getting the the script as it was as it was done. And they wanted to keep the cast in the dark so nobody knew who the killer was. Like, everybody was on a need-to-know basis, basically. Uh, they're getting a few pages every day of the script. And they said at, like, one day, like, at the table read, they get some new pages. And Sarah Michelle, she, Sarah Michelle Geller's excited because she sees her name in the script. She's like, oh, I got a scene here. And then she's like, she's literally like, oh, I get thrown off a balcony. <laughs> and Jamie Kennedy was laughing. He was like... Did you think you were going to make it to them the movie? Like, <laughs> so, Dick. Maybe so, she was at least either expecting a little bit longer or a better death. She's like on the poster, I believe, or if not on the poster, she's like... She's on one of them. She gets fourth billing. They got the big three, and then the fourth billing is Sarah Michelle Gellar. So based on the billing, you would think that she is one of the main characters. Mm. But that shows how much stock she had at that time, that she gets fourth billing, even though she's pretty much a minor role. So. And another... Uh, big name actor who actually didn't who wasn't a big name actor at the time but was in this movie Timothy Oliphant I have no idea if I'm saying his name right Timothy Ol- is Oliphant or Oliphant I'm saying Oliphant I'm gonna say Timothy why say his last name yeah, well, <laughs> uh, this is one of his respect this is one of his first movies and it shows uh, he definitely beca- does become a better actor I especially loved him in the uh, Justified series I've, I've heard everybody hype that show up so I enjoyed it I mean it's a more, I'd say, grittier version of Walker, Texas Ranger without all the martial arts. So basically what, what Nick is saying is don't judge him off this performance. <laughs> don't ju- because then hey, he also if did. We, if we diss him here today, don't take that as a, a knock on his career because yeah, he's cause done amazing stuff since then. Like uh, Perfect Getaway. That, he was good in that one. So this is kind of his... Um, Hitman. This is his... Um, Marie, Maria Rooney? Uh, Rooney Mara. Rooney Mara. This is, his, this is his version of that, basically, where they go on to do big things. I will say this. At least he tried. Rooney Mara did not. She, she undersold. He oversells. By a lot. But that's besides I, the point. I, I, I really think he's like, he watched Matthew Litter in the first one. He's like channeling Stu or trying to be Stu here. Because that's the only thing that makes sense. And you know what he should have said? I've always had a thing for you, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you hit me with a phone, you dick. <laughs> The more, more I think about it, the more I should have just given the best performance of part one to Matthew Lillard. <laughs> He's got the most... The shit you remember from the first one is all Matthew Lillard's lines. <laughs> well, that's, because of, that's because of the char- charisma he brings <laughs> in for the character. Um, he literally channeled the stew. So the opening scene, we have Omar Epps, Jada Pinkett, who are both pretty much big stars, or both big stars in their own rights. Now, Omar Epps, he says in the very thing, it's, it's a quick thing, but he says... These are free tickets we've gotten. So somebody gave them free tickets, and I'm guessing Mickey. Mickey somehow knows Omar Epps, and 
for some reason must have made excuse like, hey man, I got these tickets, but I'm not going because obviously the killers have to know that these two characters are going to be at the movie theater. And because of their names, they have to be the victims. So let's go off, off screen and say Mickey gave them free tickets and here they are, even though she wanted to go see the Sandra Bullock movie down the street. But they never mentioned what the Sandra Bullock movie was. I don't know, but I think it probably would have been better than Stab 2. So. Well, actually, actually, Stab... This is Stab 1. Yeah, that's It's Stab probably better one. than Stab. So. Stab 2 came out uh, in between 2 and 3, and they were filming 3 as we were watching Scream 3. Okay. So this is the first Stab movie. I think that whatever Sandra Bullock was doing is probably better than this. Probably. Oh, no. It might have been Speed 2. Oh, no. No, you want to stay off cruise control. Yeah. But I'll say this. You know that they, you know how they actually you know how they actually have the stab scenes playing on the movie theater, right? Right. So interesting fun fact. So Robert Rodriguez Robert Rodriguez directed those stab scenes. Now the connection there is that you remember Robert Robert Rodriguez is the next year after this is going to do Faculty, which is a Kevin Williamson Kevin Williamson script. Mm-hmm. So somewhere in that connection, they got him to do the stab scenes. So I'm so. I'm also fine with the stab scenes here. In this opening, because we're in a movie theater, is going to jump to it, you know, kind of reference the first movie. How 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 do they know what happened to Drew Barrymore? Think about this. Who made the report of this is what happened to Drew Barrymore? She got a call, and there's trivia, and I'm telling you, Stu is immortal and he's alive. Such nobody should know what happened to her other than she was chased around the house, she got gutted, hung by a tree. But all this other Unless stuff... Unless either Stu or Billy is alive. And we know Billy kind of did. So anyways, this is the most lively movie theater I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I'll, if I ever went to this movie theater, I would have walked out and be like, where the fuck's my money, my refund? And explain to me the flying ghost face and how that makes sense. This is not a superhero movie. This is ghost face. Why is five ghost faces flying across the theater? Why does anyone care about this kind of sensa- this kind of character when it, only one book's been written about the character? Even more than that, think about what they're doing here. This is a movie based on recent real-life murders. That happened, what, a year prior? Would it be that celebrated? It's like, these people, they're showing you actually die. This is a true story. Yeah. Would it be like looked at as like a cheesy slasher in the way they're presenting this? No, it should be presented as a serious, only fucked up people would probably go see this movie. And, and if this is the first stab movie, why is Ghostface that popular? He shouldn't be. Like Again, they, the only thing we get prior to this is a book. And he, I doubt half these people read. He's being treated like prime Freddy Krueger in this motherfucker. In the movie theater, they're, they're acting like they're coming to see the new Candyman movie, the new Freddy movie. Yeah, it's Ghostface on a book. And most of you have rumors about the costume that was worn, but this looks like the Avengers. See, the this, biggest box office opening like ever. So this would make more sense with maybe not stab two, but stab three. Yeah, by the time you get there, in their world, Ghostface is actually a big thing. Exactly. Like, by Scream 4, the characters are pretty... Like, yeah, they actually call him Ghostface, but I don't understand why he's so popular here. Uh, because this scene would not work otherwise? I guess, true. They, we need the crowd to be as rowdy as possible for the bullshit that's about to happen <laughs> to Jada Pink and Omar Apps. I wouldn't say what happens to Jada is bullshit, minus how everyone's acting. I like that, I like, I like that part of it. Omar Apps, on the other hand... What in the blue hell is this bathroom scene? I'm pretty sure hell's red, sir, but you know, brimstone. What in the red hell happens in this bathroom scene? All right, all right, okay, okay. Death happens. Okay, so, Omar Epps. It's a toilet of blood. Omar Epps, Omar Epps, like many of us film going viewers, at certain points during the movie, you have to go take a piss. 
I try not to. I will literally hold that motherfucker until this movie's over. You feel like you're not getting your value if you miss like two minutes of the movie. You're damn right. He's at least giving him credit. He's at the very beginning of the movie getting it out the way. Well, there, there's that. There's also the fact that most slashers, you don't need to see the entire movie to understand what's going on. Yeah, he'll theoretically be back in time to see Drew Barrymore's character get sliced and diced. So Exactly. So he walks in the bathroom. There's a couple of, there's a couple of ghost faces taking a piss. And they even stare at him. It's like, sup? And so because they are there, he's forced to go into the stall. I mean, he could have waited till they were done. Oh, yeah. Well, a lot of things could happen here, but what happened was pretty damn convenient for Ghostface. Well, what I'm just wondering this, is... This whole movie is Ghostface gets lucky. What I'm trying to figure out... So he goes in there. He goes in. He doesn't even take a piss. He just starts hearing noises coming from the next stall. He puts his head up to it. I'm just like, so what's going on in the other stall is more important than your piss? Well, I'm sorry. If I hold it in long enough, that thing hurts. Yeah, because you're right. He's acting like he really has to go. But then he's very curious about the weird sound coming from the other stall. Which, to be honest with you... I know a lot of people say, yeah, there's a sound coming from there, but unless you have the subtitles on, you can't hear that sound. Well, luckily for Ghostface, he hears the sound and he's curious enough to put his face perfectly against the stall in an exact spot where Ghostface, through his motherfucking x-ray vision, is able to feel the face on the stall wind up and stab hard enough to stab through the stall right into Omar Apps. Ear? So I'm going to assume the stall is actually made plastic. Out of... It's a plastic stall, apparently. Yeah. Because the stalls I've seen in the bathroom, I wouldn't inherently think that I could stab through it <laughs> with the velocity where the entire knife goes through clean into the guy's face. At least not that damn much. So actually, the horror of this, as you point out, is that Omar Epps dies with a full bladder. <laughs> That's the most uncomfortable death ever. Not only you got a knife in your face, but well, you, most you gotta go. There's a good chance that the minute he was stabbed, he definitely relieved himself. Can you acknowledge this is the dumbest scene ever? How did Ghostface know he was going to be in the stall? Trust me, it's not the dumbest scene ever because we haven't even gotten to Scream 3 yet. Oh, God. <laughs> Why? <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, <laughs> we'll come back later because I can't spend, I could spend the entire podcast ranting about the sheer coincidence of knowing to be in the stall at the time he is, knowing that Omar Epps is going to show up there, stab in the exact location where you'd have to have x-ray vision to pull it off. And doing all that in a public bathroom where anybody can walk in at any time and see what's going on, we'll put that aside and move on to Jada Pickett's death, which is actually pretty well done. So this death, I can definitely see, it's definitely well done just because of how terrifying it definitely, it, it is. It's, it's, it's the worst fear you could think because of. Because, think about it, you're in an extremely crowded area. All of a sudden you get stabbed, you're screaming out for help and no one's helping you because they think it's part of an act for the movie. Yeah, and even... You get into the aisle, Ghostface is still stabbing you in the aisle, and people still aren't giving you the time of day. In fact, people are literally cheering that you're being stabbed. One guy, I think, throws popcorn at her. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, this happened at the most rowdy movie theater experience I've ever seen in my life. No, seriously. If lucky, I... for, lucky for Ghostface, this was a quiet crowd, and they're just looking ahead watching the movie, which they should be. But they're, like, so into it, you can't even hear the movie. You can't hear her scream. Like, I would have been so pissed off in this movie theater i think i would have been ghostface next well i wouldn't do all that but there would, would be a mass murder happening I, I would definitely demand a refund of my popcorn <laughs> so you know this opening scene i don't know how to judge it because it's kind of like it's like i take half a star away for the omar Epps death, but then i give half a star back for jada pickett's death so right now it's a half star it's a net neutral 
<laughs> so, okay. Well, whatever. All right. So we cut to Windsor College. Windsor, Windsor College. Where, where we meet our cast, which I have all of them written down. Hey, um, I got it written down too. Sydney Prescott, Randy Meeks, Gail Weathers. You fail me. Oh, did you know about um, Deputy Dewey? You fail me. Now, what did you have written down? Because I really, I wrote down the cast. What did you write Sydney, down? Sydney, Hallie, Cece, Randy, Mickey, Derek, Joel, Gail, and Dewey. Now, let me ask you, can you name the sorority sisters? Rebecca Gale. Oh, we're using the real names, huh? You fail, all right? <laughs> no, right what's bad is on the IMDb page, all it says is sorority sister. I don't think they actually give them names. How do you have Rebecca Gayhart and use her for such a small-ass non-role? This is the exact same time. When was Urban Legends filming? This this exact time, but I don't think they were necessarily... I don't know if they were in conflict, but she's your main villain, Urban Legends, and damn, you could have gave her a death scene. She's just the Noxima girl here. No, she was actually, for your information, had a reoccurring role on Beverly Hills 90210, and I don't know that because I watched it. I just know because I saw a commercial for it and then put it together, so not because I was a huge fan of Beverly Hills 90210 that came on every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock on Fox. But that's besides the point, buddy. You fail, man. She should have been given a death scene, okay? Can we at least acknowledge this is the biggest cast ever? Right. Well, how about we go ahead and dwindle them down while during a sorority house party, Ghostface gets into the other sorority house where CeCe's left alone. CeCe stands for Casey something. How does CeCe stand for Casey? It does. Because her name was actually Casey Becker. No, 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 no. I read that. It's, it's short... The reason why she's a victim here is because her name is actually Casey. Well, yeah, we learned that in the at the police station. So scene. her name is Kate. The first one's Casey, but I forgot what the second one is. It's Casey something. Let's what? just let's just say Casey Kakums. All right. And also, how would it be C C C I C I? Casey is C A S E Y. It's not. It's just C C. <laughs> it's literally C C for Casey something. Uh, that, look, that's only this makes sense if it's C C like C I C I. Then none of this makes sense. She can't be Casey then. She has to be something totally different. So let's go ahead and just get to her death where apparently she was not excited to hear she got thrown off a balcony this early in the movie. Uh, No, because that's a boring death. (laughs) She gets chased, but Ghostface immediately shows his clumsy shit, as always. He's tripping over. He's he's falling over couches. Notice how the name is Mickey, as in (laughs) Mickey Mouse. Yeah, but you see Ghostface like... (laughs) fly across the room and like hit the couch and like fly, fly over the couch and stuff. He was way too anxious here. This is clearly Mickey. Yeah. Mickey is doing most of the ghost face work here, not Mrs. Loomis. No, Mrs. Loomis I don't think has, would have had the strength or the stamina to do half the shit he does. This setup here is good. I like the phone call. I like the brief chase. But at the end, he just catches her, throws her through the, the thing, and then throws her off the balcony. He stabs her twice. Stabs her twice. Do you see what happens to the knife after he stabs her the second time? No. All right, when you get a chance, go back and watch. The knife, like, disappears. It, fly, it, fly, it flies away. <laughs> like, it literally, it's like he threw it out of existence. <laughs> like, you have to, like, pause and watch what happens. But so, Mickey, for the is audience, magician what, is what you're saying. For the audience, watch when, after the second stab, watch what happens to the knife. He launches her off, and in all these horror movies, if it's the main girl and she flies off a balcony... She survives. She survives. But if you're, like, in the middle of the movie, timing-wise, and you fall off a balcony... Or you're Tyson and you fly off the balcony from part three, you're automatically dead. Well, I mean, she did slam her head up against concrete. That, that's pretty deathifying. We didn't see her head bounce. She could have broken her fall on the way down with her hands and knees and just had a scraped knee and a broken elbow. Look, I've been mad about this kind of thing since part four, Friday 13th, when the girl off the second story onto a car 
was pronounced dead on sight. The bottom line is, a character being thrown off the balcony is not automatic death unless you're in a goddamn screen movie. So, uh, Another thing they establish is Dewey gets damaged by a severed nerve from the previous movie. And the one thing I'm curious, so that severed nerve was like, what, midway on his back? So I could, I could understand what's going on with the limp. Did you notice what's going on with his hand? His hand's like always like this, like all <laughs> cramped gonna... up and always up like this. And I'm just like, dude, where you were stabbed would not have affected your fucking arm. I don't have the medical knowledge to expand upon this. I'm going to give David Arquette the benefit of the doubt and say he did some kind of research and he put that in his performance. To me, quite frankly, he should be dead. I think he died in the first movie and this is his twin brother, Dopey, because I feel he died in the first one, but he's back. So, so then which one's going to be in the third movie? That's the third twin, Doofy. It's <laughs> Dopey, Doofy, and Dewey. So, But look, okay, we got Dewey so back. Doofy, so then Doofy's smarter than Dopey and Dewey. I think the coach at the point said, to hell with this copycat shit, because it's never going to come up again in the movie. Right. It's over. The, the whole thing is over. No more copycat. Yeah, because notice how everyone else who dies does not have any names matching to their original victims. None. Now it's just a free-for-all, basically. Um, oh, we, by the way, I saw... We, we didn't even talk about the damn movie classroom scene. But, well, that's because... The, we spent a whole time, right? There's nothing in that scene that really matters. And true, I guess we already addressed it at the very beginning anyways. Exactly. Now, the one thing I was going to mention, though, about the CC death is that knowing that Mickey's the killer, it makes sense that she dissed him in the classroom. She was like, you have a hard-on for Cameron. He could have took that, that personal. So how is that a... Di- I mean, with Mickey being um, fucking Mickey Mouse, I, can, I guess does that makes sense, but how's that a diss? A lot of people actually enjoy James Cameron movies. I mean, look at the Avatar movie. That <laughs> now is finally getting a sequel after how many fucking years? It's only a... I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> it's only a diss because the entire class laughed at him and em- she embarrassed him and he said, you know what? I'm going to kill you at this party tonight. But it. instead of actually saying it, he actually did it. So. But I just don't understand why that's a diss because James Cameron has some really good movies under his belt, a.k.a. T2 and Aliens like we were just talking about. Yeah, but if you're talking about sequels, if the only thing you can bring up is mostly Cameron, then hey... Well, that's because Cameron knows how to make a good action movie. Yeah, to his credit, he said Godfather Part Two also. Yeah, yeah. Now, we should go ahead and mention, just be in the original script that was leaked online, they had to change it, Mickey's not the killer. So these, all these opening scenes with Mickey, these are on the context of he's supposed to just actually be a victim later on. He's not supposed to end up being the killer. So that's why he's really, really underdeveloped and really has no character at all other than film student. Randy gives the rules of a sequel. Did you disagree with any of the rules? There's said, a lot of things I disagree with. He said basically that the sequels are always more gorier and more bloody. That probably is true in most of the horror movies. Not I've this seen. one. Remember the first, the this first one's movie a, had guts in it. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, this one. This one doesn't. This one wasn't exactly Carnage Candy, right? He does actually call out Mickey as the killer. Well, he also called out a lot of people as the killer. He called out Haley as the killer, which actually in the real script she was. Well, uh, Randy's smart enough to that he called out Billy, too. The only one he didn't call out was Stu, but, I mean, who he really... No way to know that. <laughs> All right, so, moving on. Oh, yeah, there is one character we forgot to mention. Debbie Salt. Debbie Salt. Wow, you know, I think she's going to be just a minor character who does nothing in this... Oh, my God, wait a minute. Billy's mother! 
<laughs> that sound. Yeah, I, I was going to go along with your joke until you said that. <laughs> Belly's mother. Again, not not judging Timmy. It's not as good Timothy. as uh, I still know what you did last summer with Benson. <laughs> Oh yeah, hey, maybe they took that. Maybe they got that idea from this movie. Actually, like, yeah. It. See, Debbie saw that. Makes no sense. Why not say Benson? <laughs> like, why Benson? Oh, uh... you know, I still haven't forgiven that movie for that. And I'll, <laughs> I will always never forgive. I will always still never forgive as many things as I use from that series. Um, That's, that movie's still fun as hell to watch, though. Debbie Salt, and also Gail's cameraman, who is very... I, I mentioned Joel. I just said his name. Yeah, but he's, he's constantly bringing up that, hey, your last cameraman got gutted and hung on top of Van? She, no, she, and then she corrects him. I was like, he was not gutted. I embellished that for the book. He looked all happy. And she goes, his throat was slit. He's like, what? <laughs> Look, he should have negotiated for a pay raise right then. <laughs> right. Larry, this job is well, going to demand more money. she's not the one in charge of his money. It's the people who sent him to her. Well, somebody should have paid him more money because his life's at risk now. Well, even, he even's like, I don't know if I can do this. I mean, we well, don't exactly survive in these movies. Uh, that's And they talk about that in the opening, too, with Omar Epps and Jada Pickett. So. <laughs> Randy's death. All right, so... Why taunt a killer? What, you think because you're out in the open, you're not going to get hit? I think that the scene was set up in a weird way. So Ghostface is calling Gail's phone, which Randy picks up for whatever reason. And then they decide to split up to find Ghostface. Because I think that Ghostface is going to be standing out in the open on his cell phone. Or hers. So... So doing Gail's plan is to run around and everybody, everybody they see with the phone to tackle them and yeah, grab that, their phone and be like, hey. That was fucking hilarious when, fuck, when uh, Dewey the, just jumps right on top of this guy. I was like, what? Really? So they think Ghostface is the dumbest killer ever. <laughs> like, he's overstanding like, on the other side of the park. Hey, it's me, Ghostface. I look like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm over talking to you. So they tell Randy, they like, they're like, keep him talking. So he, when he starts talking, you can tell he's in an awkward spot of like, so what's your favorite scary movie? He's like, and then he starts uh, going off about Billy Loomis being a pretty much jackass and but, all but, this. But the whole thing was weird because the killer was triggering Randy as if he knows him. He's like, you'll never get the girl and stuff like that. I'm like, which to be, how's he? Which to be fair, how's he getting personalized if he knows him? That doesn't well, make sense. Again, to be fair, since we know he, it he's is, he's implying that he knows that he likes Sydney. Well, since we know. It is Mrs. Loomis that does this per the fucking movie. She's never met Randy. What makes you say that? If she was still part of that friend group, mainly because of Sydney, she would have met him at some point in time. From They, year, from they year, only got divorced one year prior. Okay. If that was the case, though, I actually think she would actually like Randy and take it easy on him. No. Because if, if he's an old friend of the family, he wasn't responsible for killing Billy. Yeah, but she's also insane. Right now, she just wants to kill people. Okay, I get what you're saying, but the main thing she's saying is basically she's implying that she knows that he likes Sydney, And that, I don't think, would be something she, from five years ago, 11-year-old Randy, 11-year-old Sydney would know that. So that did, it just, it felt, it felt very, like, not bad writing, but it felt, like, way too specific. Because, actually, that's why he got mad is because Ghostface triggered him with, like, specific things about him, he was saying. But at the same time, I have Randy a lot of... pissed her off. Well, yeah, but there's a lot of problems here. One, one thing is that... How's an old woman able to pick him up and slam him up against a window? 
She has one hand grabbing by the mouth. The other hand is completely one hand to lift his entire body up and pull him. So one hand on the face and then one arm to lift him up. This is a 110 pound, 50 year old woman. And Randy flies into the van with a velocity of like, like Jason Voorhees grabbed him. As people keep bringing it up to me, adrenaline does some, fu- some fucked up shit to you. <laughs> I have a hard time believing she could do it with two hands. <laughs> She lifted him with one hand. I mean, she probably, she most likely. She's in a ghost face costume, by the way. She's not even like, like comfortable. She's in a ghost face costume. And by the way, somewhere in her hands or somewhere near her, she has to have the knife also. Where's the knife? Here's a real question. Why did Joel not lock the damn door? Why is ghost face like in the van? Because yeah, Joel, who went to go get donuts... He actually literally went to go get donuts. He comes back with a dozen donuts. Oh, I know. A dozen donuts. He could easily have come up on like the back of the van or whatever and just opened it. And then you have this 50-year-old woman in a ghost face costume. I'm pretty sure Joel just kicks her ass. <laughs> like, because the only thing that works is like if she can catch somebody by the element of surprise. But she did. She's not going to be sitting in the van in the ghost face costume and like somebody pulls up in the van and she's like, gotcha. Like, this is way, this is, this is almost as bad as the opening bathroom scene. She's relying on somebody backing up to the van in broad daylight with nobody watching, and then she's trusting her strength to grab him. This is all, so, this is all bullshit. I actually, I think I know the real word. Remember, this phone, this phone call was originally meant for Gail. Had Gail answered it, she could have talked Gail into going to the van. Gail opens the door, knife automatically right in her. Gail was originally meant to be the next victim for this. I get it, but I still think there's a huge problem with that. If Joel is the cameraman, he has, and he's actually with Gail, he has just as much reason to go to the cam- to go to the van. Really, he's it's his van. He's the cameraman. Like he's more likely to go to the van. He actually says when he comes back, he says, "Hey, what happened to my damn van windshield? It's his van." So she doesn't know that Joel's got a sudden craving for donuts. <laughs> How she know he's going to Dunkin' Donuts? Well, remember, Joel wasn't even originally supposed to be part of this movie. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> That's okay. how they got ri- they got over the scene. They made Joel okay. leave for okay. donuts. Okay. There's two different sides that are working together and huge coincidences to make this work. There's that side of it. Ghostface in the van. By the way, later on, they show that Ghostface was actually filming from the van. Because they have camera footage later on of someone in the van filming Randy. Oh, yeah, they do. So there's a camera there. There's also the coincidence of Randy himself, with all his horror movie knowledge... He's in an open space. He's going to put himself in, in this entire whole area. He's going to put himself in the one potentially bad spot that could be bad for him. Yes. That's just stupid. Here's another thing. Um, and this is more stupid on the effects part of it. Because notice how when the knife stabbing is actually happening to kill Randy. Pulls it up. The blood stains on there. Okay, fine. Goes back down, comes back up. Blood stains are the exact same <laughs> all three times. And in all this, she's organized enough to pull him in the van, and everything goes perfect. Yes. It's bullshit, man. Well, it is the neighbor from Roseanne. <laughs> My problem with the whole scene is this: I get that the the purpose the purpose is to you kill off one of the main characters, it raises the stakes, and you establish that nobody's safe. I get that. The problem is they are safe. Because for the next seven movies, none of the main characters die. Seven movies? There's only four. The point was that... Your math is off, sir. For the next three movies, all the main characters are safe. So it's like, what was the point of this, actually? And then, 
it's a good move if this is the last movie. But if you're going to do more, then you saw they had a... We'll, we'll get to it eventually, but they had to bring back Randy in part three with a damn video. This is a, this, this death rubbed rub me, rub me the wrong way. From what I understand, Randy was not even actually supposed to die in this movie. Because Wes Craven apparently always wanted to do a trilogy with us after how good the first one did. Randy wasn't supposed to originally die. He wasn't supposed to die until the third one to be that main character that dies to raise the stakes, as you brought up. In the, in the original version, there was no Joel. Randy was actually Gail's cameraman. Which would also kind of explain a lot more this death scene. Yeah. So Joel being last second put in the movie as the cameraman, used for comedic relief. They didn't have anything written of how to, what to do with this character, basically. And Dwayne Martin, who plays him, basically came up to Wes and was like, you know, what if I just leave? And Wes is like, leave? Well, how would you do it? How would you leave? And, and he's like, with a cab. I can just get in a cab and leave. And Wes la- laughed his ass off. I was like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> it's, the, it's the greatest thing ever. To me, it's, it's the best scene in any horror movie ever. The smartest thing you've ever seen. He's like, he's like yeah, I'm getting in a cab and leaving. <laughs> I love it. It's great. So that, that's a shining moment in this movie for sure. All right. So Gail and Dewey go watch the tapes. Yes. And everything's been filmed. Cece's death was filmed. Randy's thing. Dewey and Gail about to have sex. This really was just an excuse to rekindle their romantic thing that was kind of hinted at, but now they're back together. Yeah, because apparently Gail used him, so they broke it off. You just can't keep, you can't keep these two crazy kids apart. I, I can't say they're, anything they're, else until we get to the third movie. They're, they're, <laughs> they're magnetically drawn to each other, clearly. I will say this. Probably my favorite scene in this movie is this chase scene that Gil has. Oh, uh, in the sound stage or sound studio? Really well, really well done. Really like a great chase scene, mm-hmm. the way it's done. The way you can see, you see her side of it and you see the kill in the background. You see what he's thinking too. And it's like a cat and mouse game because she's like trying to be one thing in front of him. And she actually is. But given what's happening on city side of things, I think this is actually Mrs. Loomis. Mickey's off doing the whole thing with Haley and Sydney. Right. There's no way possible that he could be doing both at the same time. So I do think this is Miss Loomis. But the ending of this scene with Dewey coming into the room. Getting stabbed three times in the back this time. Not just once. Three. <laughs> what, is with this ki- what is with Mrs. Loomis and three? I don't know. If you haven't noticed, there, she, so we believe this is Mrs. Loomis with... Randy, she stabbed him three times. With Dewey, she stabbed him three times. Here's why this annoys me. This is such a good death scene. If this is, is, if this is his death scene, it's such a poetic... Gail sees him dying. It's tragic. It's really well done. It's betrayed when he's still fucking alive because the <laughs> motherfucker has nine lives. And he would stab that back 11 times with Jason's machete. And he would turn to Jason and be like, that's all you got? Ooh. That's all you got? Dewey versus Jason. I think Dewey has a chance, man. <laughs> Dewey can't cause him any harm, but he can take a licking. Right. But, but, but would, you, would you agree? This is like, if this is actually his death scene, this is a really good way to go out. This is like an epic death scene. Mm. You ruin it later on, but in the moment, I was like, this is a great scene. Love it. And then Cotton Weary comes in. Oh, yeah, we never even mentioned Cotton at all once in this whole episode. Well, Cotton Cotton comes in first to, you know, oh, okay. covered in blood because he was with, he tried to help Dewey. And 
Gail runs thinking it's Cotton, runs into Mrs. Loomis, and now we let's get to Haley. Okay, now, <clears throat> for one of the first times in this movie, smart, Sydney's actually in protective custody. She actually has two cops protecting them. The entire movie, ever since all these killings started again. Beautiful. And the cops are going to drive her off to some secluded cabin or some shit somewhere and hide for the time being. Oh, what could go wrong besides some snappy comebacks, a ghost face killer shoving his knife through the door? Now, this was, this ghost face, this is, this is teenage Mickey, who is about to assault and destroy two police officers who both have guns and are in a car. And by the way... This what, is some superhuman shit about to happen. Well, they're on, not only that, but when the cop is on the hood of the car, he keeps telling the two girls, get down. Until they get down, yeah, he's not going to shoot and worry of hitting them. That cop got it really bad. Jesus. That's probably the goriest kill in this whole movie. Is, he got it really bad. Is that damn pipe going through his face. Luckily for them, it also knocks out Ghostface, giving them a chance to escape from the car. Now, this is actually a pretty tense scene. Because so, you, you kind of, this is, I expected Haley to die here. So, you expect Ghostface to wake up and stab her. I have one small issue with the uh, car scene. Obviously, I'm fine with Sydney going out the front way. Uh, okay, door's jammed. Why not, hear me out, break the fucking window? We obviously notice those window is not the traditional cop windows that's bulletproof. I can tell you why. Because... At this point, they're still trying to be as quiet as possible as to not have Ghostface jump up and wake up. So Ghostface in the front seat hearing, boom, 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 crack of the glass. Ghostface like, oh, shit, what's going on here? Oh, yeah. Yeah, but he also still has to get out the window as well because the door is jammed. Same with <coughs> the back door. So you have better chance pulling Haley out the door I, and I, running. I still disagree. If he's actually knocked out, they their best chance is probably to be as whatever as quiet as possible they can get out. They crawled over him. You're saying that, that if that weight, that extra weight on him didn't wake him up, I'm pretty sure a few noises is not going to wake this man up. A few noises? <laughs> You're talking about kicking in the windshield. That's going to be loud as shit. He if he's not he had, if he's not dead, he's waking up. He had a woman on top of him. When you're asleep in a deep sleep, I think actually the crushing noise may wake you up more than somebody gently going past you. They, so, be, so they, you act like they got up on him and started like doing stuff to him. They slowly crawled over him right, you're right. as that's, gently as possible. That's probably why he didn't do anything. He was probably hoping they would do something to him. I mean, he is still a teenage, teenage guy. And then that clapping died when Sydney's like, I got tired of running. I got to figure out who it is. It's like run. And figure, then, yeah. Figure this out later. Run. And then, they look, because she already missed her chance, to be honest, to find out who it is. I'm sorry, if you wanted to, if you 100% wanted to figure out who it is, that's another thing. He didn't wake up when she honked the damn horn. They could have broken that glass. No, um, <laughs> but that, but that could have easily triggered him, but it didn't. Most he, likely the guy was already awake in the first place. He's not awake when they're calling past him. He would have killed him. They, he was already awake. He's just trying why to, do you think he's trying to make time, his kills more difficult. Why do you think they, he literally got down there to the end of the road turned around and he's already gone i think as soon as they got, behind her i think as soon as they got out the car and started walking he woke up he saw them walking away by the time she turns around is like i gotta go back he's already out the car what i what i don't understand is how this mofo knows to 
I guess, run in a circle because he comes back from the other side. So what I don't understand is... How does this happen? What I don't understand is, is Sydney blind? Yeah, probably. So because she says, I need to know who it is. Turns around, us as the audience, through a camera, can see he's no longer there. She takes a long time to recognize that he's not there. Like, do you not see through the glass at the back of the window? How bl- there's no there's a reason why all her friends die. It's because she's too blind to notice. Hey, he's not there no more. Let's continue running. I actually blame Haley here a little bit because she's standing back there. It doesn't mean because you're standing back there that you completely narrow narrow you narrow your focus to. You ignore everything to the back and side of you and just narrow your focus to what's going on with Sydney. She, a one, a one glance to the side would have probably seen Ghostface coming at that point because there's no way Ghostface just appeared out of thin air. So to be honest with you, in this situation, I would not have blamed Haley if she went... Ran, and ran. Yeah. At this point... It's, Haley would be like, bye, bitch, you want to die? I'm not going to be part of it. <laughs> if, if she ran, I wonder if, if she runs... Does Ghostface still deal with Sydney or just run after? I don't know. Ghost would probably just run after Haley, though. But still, just when I think of Haley's death, I think she didn't die to Ghostface. She died because of Sid's stupidity. They, they had a clear head start to get away. Exactly. And, and by the way, Sydney continues to be stupid because upon exiting this scene, she goes to the Back to the university theater. and back to the drama room. Now... I've, I've seen online, you know, I complain a lot about the randomness, the, the Ghostface's plan, Ghostface getting lucky, basically, in this opening scene with the theater. Certainly getting very lucky with the, the Randys, that scene. But most commonly cited as the biggest, biggest example of Ghostface, Ghostface being lucky is the fact that Ghostface set up this elaborate-ass ending with Derek tied to the thing, all centered around the theater room, and it all hinges on Sydney showing up at this theater room. So, to be of honest, of all the with places Sydney could have gone, she ends be, up at this drama room. To be honest with you, I still think this is more of a coincidence over it. Act. I mean, granted, if it was Derek and Haley still as the killers, this would have made a little bit more sense as you brought up. However, if that was the case, what would have happened? Pretty sure in the script would have been Haley would still be alive, and Haley with her. They come back to the theater room where Derek is, and now it makes sense because Haley pushed for them to come back to the theater room. Right. Sydney on her own, mm-hmm. instead, but, of, instead of going to, let's say, the police station. Yeah, but uh, I just want to mention, so I don't think, I still think everything about this is still pretty coincidental, just for the fact that most likely, yes, Mickey was the one who ratted him out to ratted Derek out to the rest of the fraternity. Oh, he was hundred percent about the no, necklace. There's, there's no question. He's, he's in the, um, Mickey's in the cafeteria when he does that. Yeah. But, and he sees an opportunity. Right. He takes it. So. But here's the, here's the reason I say it's coincidental. Yes. The fraternity got him there, but what would have made, why would he have thought the fraternity would have even taken him there in the first place? If that didn't happen, the backup plan probably was to somehow just knock out, Derek and kidnap him and bring him to the theater stage. Basically, Mickey would not have been able to carry that man. <coughs> oh, well, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. They, they, they take a lot of liberties with what Ghostface can do. When you put on that costume, you're Superman, apparently. Um, no, Mrs. I, Loomis probably could have. No, I'm not saying from the killer side, I get maybe it's a coincidence. What I'm saying is that there's just no reason 
for Sydney to show up at an abandoned theater in the middle of the night. With everything going on, she's going to go somewhere where she knows there's people, but most likely she's in town. Most likely she's going to go to the police station. Yeah, think about how long it took her to get back. Because she's been driving ever since, what, Gail and Dewey were attacked. Yeah. So she should have been halfway out of town by now. And the problem is, at this point, it's like the killers have no way to track this. The killers are just like, after this, like, Mickey, like, makes a beeline to back to the, the drama room to set things up, basically. And we know that Mrs. Loomis is kidnapping Gail. When Gail went to and saw her out there, Miss Loomis must have hung up the phone and then immediately put out the gun and was like, I'm the killer, and brought her back to the drama room. But this is such a horrible coincidence, a leap of logic to say Sydney shows up for the grand finale. What she does, and Derek gets shot. Because if you're Sydney's boyfriend, you either gotta be the killer, or you gotta die. Or you go on to be in a hit TV show called Grey's Anatomy. That's, it just makes, that's for future reference. It so. still just makes me wonder, if she had believed Derek and untied him, he still would have been shot. So to be honest, there was no saving this kid. No. Most what, likely Mickey would have shot him before she got him untied. The second he committed to being Sydney's boyfriend, he's a dead man walking. <laughs> There's no way he's making out of this one. So, Mickey gives his whole evil Bond villain mastermind Hey, listen. head trauma. Hey, right in line, when I think about classic line slasher movies, you know, this is right up there with, you know, what are you waiting for? The next level is Billy's mother. I mean, this is right there in that, that upper tier, man. Yeah, I mean, this is right up there. So when, when he gives that line, I'm like, I'm like this is going to be one of the... The great actors of our generation. And Mrs. Loomis shoots him in the shoulder. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, that's your accomplice, but ah, the plan wasn't for both of them to make it out loud. Here's the question. She was aiming to kill him. Why shoot him in the shoulder? Because she's stupid. (laughs) Well, she wasn't that stupid when she killed Randy. She was just insane. No, she was superhuman. (laughs) She was uh, given a script that let her do some superhuman shit. So Um, then we get the uh, little... I can't call it a fight because it's more Sydney cutting ropes and letting the entire stage fall on this woman. Yeah, you know. She had more of a fight against Mickey and all that happened was she punched him and then he pulled the gun, grabbed the gun again. <laughs> Lucky for Sydney, Cotton comes to save the day. Oh, are you sure? Because uh, Cotton looks like he's about ready to shoot Sid. He's thinking about it. Cotton is an opportunist. He's thinking about which road is going to get me a hit TV show. He's thinking about that already. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, can I trust Miss Loomis? He thinks about it for a second, but he's like, well, she, she is pretty crazy. I think at the end of the day, he says, hey, I'll take my chance with Sydney over Mrs. Loomis because Mrs. Loomis may end up trying to stab me in the back, literally stab me in the back as we walk away. So. Well, he even looked at Sydney. He's like, that interview is looking mighty fine about now, doesn't it? And she was like, consider it done. He just smiles, pulls the trigger. Let's not... Uh, Let's not underrate the fact that Sydney has ruined this man's life. This man was innocently accused of killing Maureen Prescott by Sydney, who tagged him as a witness, seeing him leave the scene of the crime, did prison time, and just recently has been exonerated, uh, been acquitted. So, from his perspective, like Sydney ruined his life. He has a reason to be mad at her. If he if he turned around, and shot Sydney in the head, I'd be like, listen. I'm not saying he should have done it with a Chris Rocks. I'm not saying he should have done it, but I understand. (laughs) (laughs) So, um... And and by the way, Gail gets shot too, but she's still alive. Yeah. And then, remember, the villain always comes back for one last scare. 
It's just not Mrs. Loomis. Nope. It was Mickey. Mickey who... Gets fucking bombarded by bullets. Blown away. I, Mickey had been better off just playing dead. <laughs> right. I, he could have been a, the they, next villain in the third movie. What was Mickey trying? What was he trying to achieve when he popped up like that? What were you trying to? <laughs> what were you trying to do, Mickey? Didn't you know they had guns? What were you trying to do, Mickey? Damn. Uh, so, so, we go to the end and everything's good and great except for one damn thing. Hey, dude's alive. No, why? Joel's back. Joel's back, which I'm happy about because he literally waited until the exact moment the killers were no longer a threat, and he showed back up to. So it just, just makes me wonder: instead of leaving town, does that mean he just he, decided, he, he just went to the next he, motel? He over? went to the Motel Six. <laughs> he went to the Motel Six. He he waited when he saw the news report: murders captured, murders dead. He literally jumped back in the cab and came back to the scene. He's like, hey, I want my job back. But no, the inclusion of Dewey still alive, the Man of Steel. The un, unsung Avenger. Really, I'm next sure, time, the, I'm, next no, time the world's in trouble, they really should just. I'm surprised uh, David Arquette is not Superman. I I just don't understand this level of plot armor. <laughs> the man got stabbed three times in the back. Has already wounded back. What, just call him Superman. Call him Clark. Clark oh, by the way, every time he gets stabbed, he then disappears for the rest of the movie. He just passes out every time. Because he's technically supposed to be dead. Dog, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get to our categories. All right, best performance. This is actually pretty hard. To be honest with you, I want to give it to Haley, but she's not in the movie enough for me to care. So fuck it, I'm giving it to Haley. Wait, what? <laughs> you just said I wanted to give it to her, but she's not in long enough. But then you just said. I mean, Haley, Haley left no impression on me at all. So um, she left. A be- I can't say Sydney again, but we already said her in the previous movie. I'm not going to say David Arquette. Even though he's just, even though, no, I can't say him. He's not that funny. I want to say Jada Pinkett almost, because <laughs> she's so good in that opening scene. Um, I, I want to say, I would damn near say Randy, but, oh man. Um, we'll go ahead and say Randy, bud. Well, he's he's qualified. He's in the movie long enough, sort of. He qualifies. Um, I don't want to say Sydney because I feel like she. Gives a lesser version of her part one song. She did. That's why I don't care. Didn't care too much. I mean, she did okay in this one. But you can definitely tell her interest in this movie is waning. It's gonna sound silly because it's so minor, but I'm gonna say either either Randy or Sarah Michelle Gellar. <laughs> they you actually just give it to Sarah Michelle Gellar because she was Buffy. No, she's great in her one scene. So two. She's great in her kill scene. I'm, I'm going to give it to Randy because I feel like his character was done a, a grave injustice, and I do mean grave. All righty. Uh, worst performance. Uh, sorry, Timothy Oliphant. <laughs> I, do, I do love him as an actor in later movies. Just not this one. I. This one's tough because I feel like I didn't really, you know, uh, Jerry O'Connell plays, Jerry O'Connell plays Cindy's boyfriend. He didn't do anything for me either. I thought he was like a really bland. That's because you wish you were the boyfriend. I never had a thing for you, Sid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's a really bland boyfriend. He's like a bland character. When he, when he dies, when Mickey shoots him, I'm just like, nah. I should feel bad for him because he got screwed over, but uh, nah. Um, I'm going to say either my man Timothy Oliphant or... Sydney's boyfriend, Jerry O'Connell. All right. Well, then, what about best scene? I think we both already gave this one away. But for me, it's that soundstage. 
Yeah, that was just fantastic. That, if you can, like, if every horror movie had at least one sort of chase scene like that, like, that, you get a half a star for me just for that scene, so. Uh, worst scene. We didn't talk about it. We skipped over it. I'm saying that cafeteria singing scene. That's, it was just so fucking cringy. That scene's unbearable for me to watch. The I, only, if you I took out the singing part and just gave her the damn necklace, I would be fine with that scene. That's unbearable, but also the the weird um, the weird play scene where Ghostface is on stage somehow in the play with Cindy. I this, think that was this more, is like this is grocery store part two for me. So I don't think is he actually in the play? No, I think it's just <laughs> her a, a form of PTSD with everything starting up again, pretty much. I, I it's like a veteran who gets flashbacks because they heard a uh, a firework okay. going off. Okay, Th- that's a scene I would I would normally skip. Is that scene definitely the cafeteria scene, and the ending where Dewey's alive? No, I- I'm gonna go- I'm gonna go with the cafeteria scene too. But the runner-up is definitely that stage scene. I just think it's weird. So, is there anything you would want to explore more? Not really. Okay, it- I-, I I did I did uh, feel like they should. Um, I feel like they should have given Sarah Michelle Gellar. I know that uh, she's probably busy with Buffy, right? But you know, I, I hate, I hate big death scenes for minor characters. This wasn't even a big death scene. She's given a full like t- it's a good 10, 15 minute death scene. This is a big death scene. It's a full 10, 15 minutes. It's it's set up for a long time, and I feel like this should have been the opening kill, or if it's gonna be like in the middle of the movie, then give her at least three, four scenes of build up for it. It just doesn't mean anything because we don't know her. So. Yeah, me, I can't really say there's anything I would like to explore more, to be honest with you. Knowing that Mickey's the killer, maybe involve him more in the proceedings? Well, that's what I was going to put down as what would I want to change in a sense. Do you, do you notice that basically he pops up as the killer, right? But previous to that, he had disappeared from the movie mm-hmm. for about 45 minutes. When someone disappears for 45 minutes, I actually start to think like, oh, this guy's the killer because he hasn't been killed, but he disappeared. Right. Why was he in the movie then? So it's like you already start to like know like, oh, well, he's kind of the killer then. So I didn't yeah, like that. So me personally, uh, when it comes to stuff I would want to change, it would have been that. Have, have Mickey and more get to know the character of him trying to also lay off that he's, you know, give us the subtle hints. He's a killer kind of like Stu and Billy. With, with him still also trying to make sure people didn't know he was until the end game of the movie. I feel like because initially it was written with him not being the killer, it feels like... They would have had a... They, did, they didn't go back and change things with him. They kept his same scenes as if he was just going to be a victim. But they should have added more to give him a... For it to make more sense. Once he... Re, him reveal himself... He, to me, he's my least favorite killer in the series because... You, you don't just, know anything about him. You know him. nothing about him. And then there's no great motivation to make up for it except he just wants a trial yeah i don't know i was i was happy as soon as he said <laughs> billy's mother as soon as he said that i was like just blow him away just shoot him all right so overall thoughts it's not as good as the first i still enjoyed it though the a lot of the setup and all the uh BS that happens in this movie could have been done either better or just not have happened at all. Mickey, again, as our killer, pretty much our main killer in a sense because he does most of the killing, should have gotten more screen time, should have gotten bigger backstory or something. 
So overall, I'm going to have to give this movie a little bit under what I gave Scream, which is going to be a two. So actually, one full star under. <laughs> <laughs> a big difference. Um, okay. The movie Scream 2 is an above average slasher. It's definitely not a bad movie. None of the screen, none of the screen movies, I don't think we'll have to see with part three and four, but none of them are going to be like horrible movies per se. They're all certain level of sla- in, within the slasher genre. But that said, I only got one really big problem in this movie, and that's that Ghostface gets so damn lucky with all these kills. Half these kills, so much shit has to go right. So much has to be coincidentally in his favor in order to make the kill. You're stretching the the realm of believability to a high degree. There's leaps of logic here that weren't there in the first movie. From the opening theater scene, Randy's death, again, Sydney showing up at the theater room for the grand finale at the end. But these are big problems because they just, they're, they're huge logical problems. Like, if that opening scene doesn't happen, the whole story doesn't happen. Randy's death is just silly with how, how it happens to me. Good for shock value, I guess. Um, I'm still going to give it two and a half stars because I don't feel like it's a bad movie. It's well directed, well made. The acting's all pretty good. So it's not a bad movie. There's just some things that make it way below the first movie. So two you're, and a half stars. You're still nicer, greater than I am. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's... Uh, for me, two stars means like you really feel like it's a bad movie. I don't think it's a bad movie. No, that's one and a half to under. <laughs> no, you're just a very tough grader, clearly. Because you couldn't even give Tremors three stars. I will never forgive you for that shit. <laughs> All right, folks. That was our first episode. And it'll be our 100th episode, too. Next week, of course, we'll be back with Scream 3, continuing the series. I, for one, have super high hopes for Scream 3. I think we're about to get to the peak of the series, personally. We'll see if I'm wrong, but I was the one who said Troll 2 was going to be amazing. So clearly, I'm on the right track here. All right, folks. Until next week, if you do get a phone call... And the phone, Answer, it's probably your pizza guy wondering where your address is. And the phone call says that your warranty's expired, but you don't even own a vehicle, that may not actually be the warranty guy. It may be Ghostface. Better yet, if you get a call and they say your warranty has expired, you just... At first, you ask, is this a real person or is this a recording? It's a real person. You got a pretty mouth. And just to give... And they will hang up. Just to give you some advice, when they ask you, who was the killer in Friday 13th Part 5, do not say, Jason, Jason, Jason! I saw that movie 13 times! Don't do it. It's not Jason. Well, for one, nobody's seen that movie 13 times. (laughs) Well, unfortunately, I feel like I may have, but... But, uh... Hey, in one of these Scream sequels, that should be a thing, though. Who was the killer in Friday 13 Part 5? Jason! 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 I, I got you again! <laughs> Be Drew Barrymore again. <laughs> no, they should have done that with Sarah Michelle Gellar. No, I'm dead serious. Scream 5, they bring back Drew Barrymore. No idea why. Different character still, but ask that question. Who's the killer in Friday 13 Part 5? Jason! Wrong! I've seen the movie 13 times! Shut the fuck up. No, you haven't. <laughs> if you saw the movie third times, you would know that it was Roy. Jason didn't show up again until part six. Jason lives. <laughs> Have a good night. We're getting a police escort out of town. Hopefully Ghostface doesn't attack our car. Hey, what's that white mask coming this way for?